0: Hello, hello, my name is Ben Hilsinger, and this is the Big Fat Snare Drum Podcast. We're back today with another installment of the Big Fat Five, which is where I bring in some of my favorite drummers and have them discuss their top five drumming moments that have made them into the drummers they are today, whether it's something they've completely ripped off or morphed into their own style to help create their unique voice. We're all sponges, and some sponge worthy moments are more important than others. Anyways, Gunner Olsen was our guest for episode 27, and when I started this new series, I just had to get him back on. If you don't know Gunner, he's performed and are recorded with everyone from Bruce Springsteen to Miley Cyrus to Big Data and many more, along with being a founding member of the bands The Exit and Mother Feather. He's one of my favorite players and people, and I know him a better player since knowing Gunner. So, enjoy the show. This episode is sponsored by Waves Audio. This podcast would take me so much longer to edit if it wasn't for the Waves Vocal Rider plugin. It rides the fader in real time and keeps both my and my guest's audio at a consistent level without the need to overcompress. I also use an endless amount of their plugins for my musical recordings, such as Abbey Road Saturator, CLA Drums, the SSL Channel. Check them out at waves.com. Alright, I'm here with Gunnar Olson. Thanks for being back on the show.
1: Thanks for having me back.
0: Yeah, so you were on episode 27, and we talked about just overall, if I could sum it up, creativity. And so I would almost think this is a continuation of that episode, because we're talking about the five specific drum moments or fills or flourishes or just overall vibes that you find have creeped into your playing, and yeah. whether you've changed them to kind of morph them into more Gunnarisms, in, inappropriate gunner. Uh, (laughs) then, uh, then you care to admit they're just things that you're like, oh, I definitely do that all the time. So yeah, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Let's get into it.
1: All right. I really like for the record. I I think this is a great idea. Oh, Um, cool. I was excited to do it. Um, yeah, let's just start it off strong. Um, Lars Ulrich, as many people know, I'm a huge fan. Uh, he is very... Uh, he was just a big part of uh, my my childhood in terms of just, like, listening to drums and being excited about music and starting to play along to records. Um, the record in particular is And Justice For All. And the song is Harvester of Sorrow. <laughs> Such. They were the original um, emo band. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> totally. Um <laughs> I want you to start from about 24 seconds into Harvester of Sorrow by Metallica and Justice for All album, Lars Ulrich.
0: All right, I'm doing that now. Okay. Sick man. Uh, I haven't heard that song actually. Really?
1: Okay. So, um, the thing that stood, you know, I, 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 my first thought when you said this, I was like, okay, who are the drummers? And then, what are the songs that are give examples of what I like about the drummers? So, mm-hmm. this one is probably more of just like a feel and kind of um, a direction. Um, one, he's on the toms and kind of doing accents with his kick drum, which I think is really cool. But the big takeaway I had from this is. You know, it's one to the two to the three to the four, one to the two. Like he's hitting a lot of the crashes on the two with the snare mm. um, throughout the song. And I would say just in general on that whole album, that's kind of a theme. And maybe just in, term, in general for him, but that idea of like you're not necessarily accenting the one of a bar. There's just something so cool to me about that hitting the one, two. There's that, and just kind of how lyrical he is. He's kind of staying on the t- on the on the toms, and you know the the guitars are riffing, but then he's finding these spaces to do these flourishes. He's kind of um, going back and forth between sixteenth notes and triplets, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know. It just it it's it's so musical. It's it's almost like another melody, and I think that's what I don't know. I think that's what I take away the most from him is just that kind of he's answering a lot of things rather than like leading into you know like he's setting things up and answering rather than just like here's the downbeat or uh there's also you know like to quickly go to another song just that we all know the inner sandman thing Mm -hmm. another example of just like that like you're doing a two and four but you're doing it on the toms and that's definitely something I've stolen from him. Is that just kind of keeping forward motion on the toms, um, and maybe playing almost like a drum set beat, but strictly keeping it to the toms and the kick drum.
0: Yeah, and he did it in this song too, where it's a random china with a with a snare drum hit. Yeah, and I think that's like the quintessential drummer. Like I have to get something out, just ah, and then it's like this release, then you can go back to something else.
1: Yeah, I mean, but... he was that. That was the reason I got a china symbol. Was that record? You know, it's just, um, I think he had two on that record. But anyways, that's song number one. Um, maybe we'll keep, hmm, I feel like I want to like kind of vary it. Basically, the five drummers I picked, I feel like if you took them and put them in a blender, wink, is um, <laughs> something. Uh, that was some, cute. Sorry, I don't know. It's something, uh, I would say the combination of these five drummers would kind of be the uh building blocks of a lot of my playing Mm -hmm. um so number two i gotta go with Stuart copeland and um i was in a band for years called the exit and i i made no effort to hide the fact that i was essentially ripping Stuart copeland off but um rather than ripping him off it was more just kind of um I don't know, I was kind of taking... I'm just really into the way he modernized the reggae beat and kind of made it like a pop beat. You know, he was. it was the first time I ever really heard um, the kick drum on two or on three, however you want to count it. Um, You know, that kind of just like backbeat where a snare would be, but now it's played by the kick drum. Mm -hmm. Um, So the song I picked of his is... Uh, The police, the bed's too big without you.
0: Again, another email band.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I mean, you could pretty much, he he basically plays the same beat the entire song. Mm -hmm. So I didn't do like a minute mark or anything for this. But um, yeah, he's, what I like about this particular song is he's riding, he's riding the snare drum. And he's, instead of kind of keeping time on a hi-hat or something, he's kind of keeping time... I think what he's doing, I think he has a cross stick formation. So his hands, his cross stick is going across the stick, across sorry, across the snare. And then with his right hand, I think he's playing kind of where you would play like a ghost note and riding the snare. And then the, the kick is on the two and the four. Um, yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah. Let's check it out. Love kinda, that one as well.
1: What's cool? Yeah, he's doing one, two, three, four with a kick. Is kind of on the slow three, and then it sounds like he's kind of almost doing everything with his right hand. You know, like the accents, and maybe it's it's I can't I I don't I don't actually know how he plays it, but he's kind of accenting the upbeat like almost the reggae upbeat, but then you have the two and four anchoring it with almost like a halftime feel. Yeah, and. Um, I think what's great is also the guitar part is so great because it could just it could just be like that standard upbeat skank but then he's doing this kind of like squirrely, wiggly da 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 and uh and then the the whole time the bass is just playing that one rhythm on the same notes so the 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 chords are only defined by the guitar. I know we're supposed to talk about the drums. Yeah. But uh it's um the whole song is just kind of this one there's it's not a dynamic song. It's just goes you know and uh, i'm also a huge fan of the shaker that they're using on that song it's very metallic sounding it's it's yeah it's just um i definitely ripped off stewart many times and still do and um i'd say there's a band called or there's a song by my old band the exit called pressure cooker i feel like i kind of i'm kind of i'm doing a similar thing where i'm riding the snare and playing acrostic, it's a totally different feel, but I, I definitely was influenced by him for that.
0: I mean, especially when you do, I think in the last episode we referenced that El Paso gig, you did a lot of that four on the floor, hi-hat stuff, and yeah. uh, I mean, yeah, Stuart is very, very much near playing. It's awesome.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's all about, for, and, and also feel wise, I think I probably identify with him in terms of, the, like he's just, he's so on top of the beat, Mm -hmm. and at times it's kind of comical like some of those live records it's just like whoa he's so he's just beyond the band but it's so energetic and it's so i don't know when it when you're so consistently on top of the beat it just has this momentum and it's so awesome
0: absolutely yeah i know stewart um he should be on everyone's list you know because the hi-hat is where he excels for sure and that's where a lot of personality comes out of any drummer is the hi-hat so um, and he
1: was the first drummer i ever knew to do any kind of um like he would put a delay pedal he would put a microphone through a delay pedal on his hi-hat so live he was able to manipulate the kind of reggae dub delay hi-hat stuff i think he had control of that back behind the kit um if i'm not mistaken so that was the first time And just those records, like hearing that kind of, I mean, obviously he's kind of doing his interpretation of dub reggae, which I got into after the fact. But, you know, like you said, Chris picking um, Don't Stand So Close To Me, that was one of my favorite songs when I was a kid because my mom had that record and we'd watch the video. And that was like a good example of music you grow up with. And then 10 years later, when you're playing an instrument, you go back and you're like, whoa, this is actually... I can respect this on a, wholly, on a totally different level because mm-hmm. now I kind of know how to play the drums and all these songs were like on MTV, they were on the radio, they were the biggest band in the world, but he's doing this really like off the wall drumming, you know, so. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, all right, number three.
1: All right, let's see, number three, <clears throat> I'm going to go with, um, this one is hard because, okay, so I'm going to go with Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl is no secret to anybody. The reason I play the drums, and um, yeah, I don't know. I I started thinking about like what are my favorite fills of his, and this and that, and um, the first one that came to mind, and. It's, it's uh, Queens of the Stone Age, the rec- uh, the Songs for the Dead record. The album is Songs for the Deaf. I picked the song, Song for the Dead. Uh, but yeah, it's, number, it's, it's the fifth song on the record. It's called Songs for the Dead, or Song for the Dead. And um, this one, you could just start from the beginning. And um, it's a, uh, well, yeah, let's listen to it. Yeah. it's a good point because you definitely hear the guitar and the hi-hat get off from each other. But I think my guess is they just left it because those little imperfections are the best parts of all. They're my favorite parts of all my favorite records. I agree. I think, um, I think those, I think those moments of, um, humanity, that's what stand out to people. It's like playing all those shows with big data to a click, you know there's always going to be that moment where there's a little bit of up oh, we got off the clip, and like you kind of look around and laugh and I, I think that's actually those are the moments that people are are looking for you know mm-hmm. um but uh yeah that song was a heavy influence on the drum part i have in my own band song by mother feather called red hot metal mm-hmm. which um might be worth listening to just because i i pretty bla- well. oh it's not that i rip it off it's just i <laughs> i like the concept of the guitar is just doing this thing it's almost like the guitar is in the other room and then the drummer sits down and just kind of it's exploring the rhythmic space you know mm-hmm. and um it's like not quite a solo it's not quite a drum part it's just kind of i don't know it's awesome it's definitely awesome It, I just basically like when, when the Mother Feather song was being written, I just remember thinking this needs that thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It wasn't, oh, I'm going to play those fills. It's just the idea of, I don't know. It was the idea. I stole the idea <laughs> and I'm not uh, embarrassed to say it. Um, I did wonder if you could maybe, there's, there's two other Dave, like I kind of want to, show you my two favorite dave films. fills Dude, me and
0: me and chris had like we had like nine each so the big fat five is quickly becoming a big fat who gives a crap
1: <laughs> I, it, well it's just because like basically when you said oh five songs um kind of drum stuff you've hijacked i feel like i i was having a hard time like i just i think i i just purposefully don't steal drum parts it's kind of like you know if 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 enough of it's in your dna it kind of finds ways to come out yeah but um there's two dave grohl fills that i probably haven't ever recorded but i play live all the time just because they're so fun
0: Um, Um, yeah i'm i'm curious if i could remember you doing any of these uh on tour
1: okay i I, it's more with with my band mother feather because Mm -hmm. basically when i joined that band it was I looked at it as my excuse to finally play all my Dave Grohl isms. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a very hard-hitting rock band. It's just—it's just a rock band. It's just getting the job done. And I feel like he's just the best. Ex- he's my favorite example of that kind of drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the first song. Both of these songs are on. Are on in utero, by the way.
0: Uh, the drum sounds on that one are, I think, the premiere of the two.
1: Steve Albini, yeah. Um,
0: so the first
1: one is Radio Friendly Unit Shifter. It's track number 10. And I want you to go to about two minutes in. And it's basically setting up the bridge. When he gets to the bridge, he's kind of answering the vocal melody with this very big... Um, it sounds just like that. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to play it now. Yeah, see if you can sync that up. All right. So love I think one—I think one of the reasons I love that feel so much is when when I was probably like 13 years old, there was this live there was this live New Year's performance that Nirvana did on MTV. Mm-hmm. I forget what it was called. It might have been just called New Year's, or it's 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 available. It's it was the album. It was at this point, Pat Smear was playing second guitar, and they were kind of. And Utero had come out and they were kind of playing like all these songs from two records. And when they played that song, I just remember they they show a clip of how Dave is playing that fill. Mm. And when back in Nirvana, like his rack tom was essentially (laughs) in front of his face. It was just 15 inch, it was just so big. And so he's essentially just doing a da 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 da, like a 16th note fill. But he's breaking it up between the snare and rack so it's deck and then to the floor so I don't know it just it, it looked so cool it was one of those fills I hadn't really ever noticed listening to the song I mean it, it didn't stand out until I saw him play it mm-hmm. and I just remember being like I don't know there's something about that fill and watching it you know there's there's that um there's those memories we have that you can almost like taste it where it's like that other sense it's just one of those memories it just really sticks out to me and so i think that's some of the reason why i like that fill. but i play that feel all the time live okay with with mother feather and the other fill, which is just a, a total opposite thing by dave it just really shows his musicality and space and it's actually somewhat linear which i feel like linear is still something i'm still trying to figure out i'm mm-hmm. just trying to feel comfortable with but um the song serve the servants on in Utero, okay uh two minutes into the song as well and it's just phil he plays out with a break and i play it all the time i like just it's i'm surprised it hasn't made it onto a record i probably have gone out of my way to not record <laughs> it because i play it so often
0: yeah so, um yeah. all right i'll cue it up <laughs> Say what you want to say, and then I have something to say about that as well.
1: No, I don't know. It's just, um, it's it's unlike any fill. I, I, I just like, it's one of those fills that I, I don't even know. Sometimes you hear something in a drummer, and you can kind of imagine where it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, like, obviously, Dave Grohl is very inspired by John Bonham. Tim Alexander from Primus is very inspired by Stuart Copeland. And I say those two things because both of those drummers I was into before uh i got into the their influences you know so i was a fan of nirvana before led zeppelin i was a fan of primus drumming wise before i really went down the rabbit hole of the police and even like um rush you know Mm -hmm. those so you can hear those elements in, in like dave's drumming um but that feel yeah i don't know where that feel comes from it's just it's just There's nothing like it to me, it just fills up space, it's really musical, it's somehow keeping the momentum going, but it also kind of pulls the song back, and then, I don't know.
0: Yeah, it kind of has like a, uh, I don't think Dave would have thought of it in this way, but a, um, what do you call that, metric modulation? It's like a three over four kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I'll have to listen to it again to get the specifics, but it's a da-boo-da-boo, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, Um, it's almost like a slow bow diddly or something.
0: Sure, sure. And there's actually a song, are you a fan of, I'll do one of my things to piggyback off you. Um, You're, I obviously know Jack White is, but are you a fan of the dead weather?
1: I, I don't know their stuff well enough to, to know it.
0: So Jack White plays drums in that band uh, And okay. uh, he's I mean if, if you haven't listened to his drawing He's a killer drummer It's like annoying how amazing he is at that as well But yeah. there's a song called um, Hang You Up From The Heavens And Phil going back into the chorus Into the second verse Has a similar vibe to that I'm curious if he kind of stole that from So I will play that now Okay <laughs>
1: Hang you up from the heavens. I don't know how to let you go. Oh, it's very similar. It's, yeah. it's it's a little more like um it's a little more like the caveman version. Sure. You know? Cause but, Dave's uh, is is snare, hi hat, kick, snare, hi hat, kick, snare. But oop butts, oop plat. Sure. You know? Um which is really it's I feel like when i learned that it opened up this idea of just kind of um i don't know it's uh that particular field has kind of opened up a way of thinking that i hadn't had before Uh, well
0: with your left foot a lot of people they think right hand left hand right foot but the left foot as out of all of them is the one that's just neglected on even just during fills just doing a, a stomp instead of actually hitting it with the left hand a very you know steve gadd thing yeah um but that's a little more obviously Rockin' than steve But that's that's a rad <laughs> fill. i like that hey y'all i wanted to <laughs> i can't say i wanted to talk to you about a drum i've recently received from preston at vessel drum co it's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum and it's incredible it's got a 1.5 millimeter shell brass shell with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, And Preston actually, this is why it's called the ocean patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be, or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode. Is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour and I didn't keep it. And I regretted it ever since then, just cause I was trying to pinch pennies at the time. And I just kept thinking about it. And so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums. So the Ocean Patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, check it out, reach out to me, go to Vessel Drum Co. The Instagrams just at vessel drum co and check it out. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Sounds great. Bye.
1: Okay. So keep moving on.
0: Yeah. So this will be number four.
1: All right. This one's going to be, this one's uh, a weird, a a pretty weird one. Um, This is by the drummer, Jim Black. Have you heard of him? Mm -mm. Jim Black. Um, Jim Black is a drummer from New York. And I would say he's kind of, I don't want to like credit him wrong, but he's a very um, avant-garde kind of free jazz, jazz drummer. He His setup is very, he's a pretty, he's got a sonar kit, mm-hmm. at least the times I saw him, sonar kit, and then 10-inch cymbals for hi-hats. Okay. And then he was the first drummer I ever heard using kind of a, tra- like a, I don't want to say a stack, but a dead-sounding, very staccato symbol. And his setup had, like, he had a very staccato, just, like, attack-textured feel. And to kind of ex- ex- explain more what I'm talking about, um, I want you to look up the artist Ben Monder, M-O-N-D-E-R, Ben okay. Monder. I believe it's the album called Dust the thing that stands out to me about Jim is I went to, I went to school and studied, I went to a jazz conservatory for four years and I was basically a rock drummer. And my dad was like, you know, he wanted me to go to college and the way I was going to go to college was I was like, well, at least I got to play the drums. You know, I, I have to do something musical. My dad's a musician. So he was pushing me in that direction and was, fine with whatever decisions i made but really wanted me to go to college so i went to suny purchase college and i got into the jazz program and i felt i i I really felt like the odd duck there i just i wasn't really a jazz guy but it was kind of the only way to play drum set in college was to go for jazz and i studied with some great teachers and uh but you know I, i was playing in the big band which is really fun it's it's kind of like the biggest loudest version of jazz you have all these like horns and big setups and you know buddy rich style stuff but i started hanging out with guys and going to these jazz clubs in the city and seeing a version of jazz that got me excited where it wasn't just that kind of what you picture as like whiplash or whatever like (laughs) swinging jazz stuff it was this more kind of avant-garde stuff that was being inspired by a lot of electronic music a lot of drum and bass a lot of a lot of drum and bass and like Aphex Twin, Bjork, a lot of these kind of Radiohead, a lot of these influences were infiltrating this newer avant-garde jazz scene and um so I want you to look up the song Dust and I believe it's I, I picked the minute marker about 6 minutes in okay and um at this point they're kind of in the middle of the song but if you listen to the tonality of Jim's kit, that's kind of the thing that stuck with me. These very dry cymbals, um, this really awesome sounding trash kind of cymbal. It, it sounds like he's hitting the lid of a garbage can. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really what like, opened my ears up to the idea of like stacks and just kind of really quick metallic sounds. So, yeah, check that out. Yeah, it up. And that's also like a 10-minute song. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing I want you to hear, listen to just real quick mm-hmm. before we start talking about it is same artist, Ben Monder, and it's on the record Flux. And then just, uh, it's a song called Jello Throne. <laughs> and it just starts with this kind of free, open solo by Jim. And all the textures he's using, just listen to it, hold on.
0: Yeah. Okay. That was all MIDI, right? Yeah. (laughs)
1: Um, These records came out. I mean, this was like probably, I would say, 1998, 1999. Mm -hmm. So I was probably a freshman or sophomore in college. And all I had really listened to at this point was punk rock and Nirvana and Green Day and Operation Ivy and No Effects and Bad Religion. You know, like at all. But like that was what I was really into. And then I went to a jazz conservatory, I was just like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'm open-minded and I like jazz. I like Miles Davis and I like Coltrane. I love Elvin Jones. And, but going to see these guys, like these kind of bands play, um, it was the first time I saw, you know, like Jim was putting splash cymbals on a snare drum and like, like, uh, a metal bowl on his rack tom. And it was the first time I was seeing, the idea of putting stuff i mean you you guys that's what you guys do like the the idea of putting stuff on your drum heads mm-hmm. to give it a different sound you know like
0: we're gonna sue jim te- now
1: yeah you're gonna <laughs> sue- <laughs> um and you know i never heard dry like all of, almost all of his symbols were broken you know i never mm. and all of my symbols were broken, but because I hit them too hard and, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. and they sounded like crap playing rock music, but mm-hmm. hearing someone turn something broken into art was just, I don't know it really open up my, like my palette for a lot of stuff. And I, you know, so the ne- the next record I made after that, I started putting splash symbols on my snare drum and, and experimenting with like dead or ride symbols. And it doesn't work for all styles of music, but, um, it's a, it was a big, uh, building block for me.
0: I could see a lot of what, a lot of the topics we were talking about in your last episode. I can see a lot of those things that I was trying to get across are from him for sure. A lot of the rhythms you do, not so much verbatim, but a lot of that kind of right symbol stuff while you're doing accents in the left hand.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, that's cool. That's, it's cool to, this is kind of why I wanted you on because I wanted to selfishly be like some of these things that I don't even think you realize are in your playing. I'm like, Oh I see where he got some of that stuff, uh, and again, not not that you're r- ripping him off, but it's uh, no,
1: it's it, but I it's haven't cool. listened to that like also, I also haven't listened to that record in like 15 years, and and digging it up today, I was like, oh man, like there's so much on here that I just that song in particular, I would just listen mm-hmm. to over and over, and and I used to know all the fills, and so I, I some of those fills probably ended up in my playing. I mean, that song's in seven, so I don't play in seven too often, but yeah.
0: That's awesome. I'm, I'm definitely going to dive into him. So, uh,
1: and then the last song I wanted to do is by the drummer Matt Chamberlain. He's mm. a young a young upstart. Yeah, I think I've heard of him. Um, Matt was the first drummer. I've said I've I've I don't I don't think I said this on our podcast. I've said this before, where Matt was the first drummer that wasn't the drummer of a band that I was really excited by. You know, because it was like. I was really into Dave Grohl and Lars Ulrich and Herb Alexander. And, you know, we have these like drumming heroes that are in our favorite bands. And mm-hmm. then the record, the records I really got into Matt Chamberlain with were the Fiona Apple records, especially the really long title when the pawn um, album. And it just seemed like he was on every record. He was on like that Wallflowers song. And he, you know, he was the guy. Mm-hmm. And I remember being really into him and i was getting into john bryan and he he played on all the john uh, bryan not all of it but it always seemed like if john bryan was making a cool sounding record matt probably played on it Mm -hmm. at least for like a there was a two to five year period where that just was the case and i remember i bought this next record that i'm going to talk about and i didn't know who played on it or who produced it and i remember i started listening to the first song because it was a jazz pianist and and i was trying to explore more jazz and get into it because i was going to college for it and the moment the drums started i just was it blew me away and i had to go see like what jazz drummer is this figuring it's like a new york guy and it's Mm -hmm. it's matt chamberlain and i was like what the and and john bryan produced this record but i I had no idea but at the time like that was kind of like i was just I know the timing of it was really important to me because i'm just so into those two guys on a lot of stuff um so the song in particular i want to play is by brad meldow and it's the song called when it rains go to about 50 seconds in okay and just a quick aside when the the moment the drums came come in and the beat he's playing it's it was one of those like watershed like moments that just changed my drumming forever. I love it. Wow, what a build up. Yeah.
0: not expect that beat to come in that way
1: it's the best part it just, yeah. you know it's kind of this I don't know, you think it's gonna be like a 6 8 or waltz yep um, yeah I bla- that like in terms of like a beat or just kind of a vibe I've stolen like very literally you know that's that's kind of like the singer-songwriter beat right you know mm-hmm. it's like whenever you play kind of a slow like whenever I do anything like that session wise Whether or not I'm thinking about it, that's probably what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And I also blame that beat for playing too many for
0: being the reason I play too many ghost notes. (laughs) Well, it's funny that kind of beat. It's it's so much. If 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 we're at Nam and a drummer sits down and plays something (laughs) like that, that's when everyone stops with their what they're doing and looks at them. It's when they come and blaze these chops. You're like, all right. Anyways, could you be you know be quiet? But yeah, those those kind of beats just God, they're so fun to listen to.
1: It's just, it's, I mean, I feel like it's become a little bit more in vogue the last few years on Instagram where more drummers are playing that pocket beat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that was my first real introduction to that. Just, just the idea of like playing rhythm, like a simp like it's a simple, it's not, well, it's not simple on, on, on the cover. It's a very simple beat. Uh, and then obviously he 's doing all the ghost notes and and kind of buzz rolls, but it's it was one of the first things that ever stood out to me. The reason it 's awesome is because he 's doing everything he can to just make it feel good mm-hmm. it, it there 's no ego in what he 's playing and but but at the same t- maybe there actually is because he plays it so damn well, but um yeah, it's that less is more, even though sure. it's actually
0: surprisingly busy. Um, I know exactly what you mean. It's funny, too, like that. He's kind of become maybe, and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but you know, growing up, you were in The Exit, and you kind of wanted to be in a band. And he, you know, that's when the Dave Grohl's were more of an influence. But I can see how Matt Chamberlain's career path yeah. is kind of more in line with what you're doing right now, which is just... Adapting to certain things and just putting your Stamp on it in your own unique way which is why I Love your drumming because I, I, I feel that you do That but uh, yeah just Being that go-to guy
1: I mean I think he definitely That that was the kind Of um, role model He played for me was he could play with anybody I mean he's played with Soundgarden You know mm-hmm. like um, uh, And he does like that like on that Fiona record he's doing kind of like live drum And bass and and then You know not to toot my own horn, but Matt and I are the only drummers on the Bruce record I played on. It's like me and Matt Chamberlain. And it's just like that record's from 1995. It's just kind of um, moments like that are just kind of like astounding to me also. And uh, yeah, he's still he's still like the go to guy. Right. And he he seems to adapt and and never sound dated. And Mm -hmm. I think also his, his drum like he. I know for a fact, because of, of producers I know who've worked with him, he, he was one of the first drummers I knew who knew of, who had their own studio and was engineering their stuff and And I think a big part of the reason his drums always sound good is I think he has a pretty big say in how they're recorded. you know mm-hmm. um, I know all the stuff on the Bruce record he did he did remotely at his studio. So that was kind of, uh, I think, uh, something I learned from him, which is, Oh, like maybe one day I could have my own studio and people could send me tracks to play on, you know, it's, um, yeah, he's, he was a big, he's, he was and still is, but was a very big influence for sure.
0: My Matt Chamberlain story is an ongoing one. Cool. Uh, <laughs> he actually goes to the same gym as me or went to the same gym as me. I won't say where it is obviously, but, uh, yeah, I've I've seen him work out a few times. <laughs> it sounds so creepy, and I'm 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 happy it's coming across <laughs> this way. But there's been times that I've like looked over, and he's over there. and I'm just like, what? I mean, obviously, this is not the time to no. like. Maybe if we're like standing in line at the juice bar on the way out, it'd be like, hey, Matt. By the way, like, I'll just bow to him and then like order my my juice. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know what I would say to him.
1: I think you should say something. I think um, I I I met him once and. It it did not go well. It was uh, pretty pretty awkward because he he played on a friend's record, and okay. and I, it was back in the MySpace days. And mm. my friend my friend told me, "Oh man, I, I got Matt Chamberlain to play." Like my friend got signed to a big label, and they got all the he got all the drummers of his dreams, right? And mm-hmm. he's out in LA, and Abe's pl- Abe plays on it, and uh, Kenny Arnoff, and and Matt Chamberlain, and. I was like, "Oh man, tell Matt I'm a huge fan." Like, you know, this is like a uh, email, like in in like 2000 or something. Yeah. And um, and then I reached out to him on MySpace. He had a MySpace page, I guess, which is crazy <laughs> because he's he I don't know he he always seems to be on or off social media. But I, yeah. I guess he I guess he was on that week, and I found his <laughs> MySpace page and reached out, and I said, "Hey, my butt you're playing with my, on my buddy's record and." And he was like, oh, yeah, like he mentioned like, hello. Right. It was just a very um, and so I think I was listening to maybe even this song that mm. we just listened to. And I was walking around Brooklyn. This is like three or four years later. And I walked by this tiny little club in Williamsburg and on the marquee, it says Charlie Hunter and Matt Chamberlain duo. And it was going to start in like 10 minutes. Whoa. And I, had, and I had no idea. And I'm a huge Charlie Hunter fan. Yeah. Also. And I I was just like, Oh my God. So I go in and I watch them play duo. It was awesome. Uh, and, uh, afterwards, like I go up to him, (laughs) Oh God. And, uh, I was like, Hey, it was so crazy. Like I was literally listening to you playing the drums on that Brad Melrod record. And then I looked up and saw that you were playing. So I came in to see you play and it was awesome. Great show.
0: Yeah. And he was like, cool you know like <laughs> and you and i have your hair in the back pocket yeah. if you want to sign it yeah
1: <laughs> and then as if that wasn't enough i was like and um <laughs> you might remember that you played on my friend's record and we talked on my sp- like i was just like going in this <laughs> pit of just like hey and then yeah we i i reached out to you on MySpace, and you played on my friend's record and we talked we like talked once you know it's <laughs> <laughs> <Just> like cool yeah <laughs> And uh, and then I just like had to leave, you know, just like <laughs> it was awful. It was just, and he wasn't like it wasn't even
0: that he was being weird. It was just it. What? what yeah. What do you that will that, that, that could have gone many ways. It went the way that, you know, didn't yes. spark a friendship. <laughs> but
1: uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was just kind of like, oh, that's all good to know. Like, thanks. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was probably fine, but it was just it was I was just so mortified. And then I went even deeper. And then I just had to just like leave.
0: And, um, well, now you're really yeah. making me not want to say hi to him. <laughs> Cause,
1: no, no, cause that's we'll, why I w- that. You should definitely say it. And, okay. and then say, oh, you might remember my friend who reached he out talked to, you to you on MySpace. My Sp- yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we talk about you for 20 minutes on my podcast Ooh, that I host. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, I'm going to follow to your car. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, yeah, man. I mean, I was cool. really looking forward to this because, again, uh, I love your drumming, and so I wanted to, you know, my my thing is always, instead of, you know, ripping off your heroes, rip off the people that they were inspired by because um, yep. then you kind of filter it through your own thing. So thanks for being on the show, man. Appreciate it. I'm, I was excited to get the call, and, uh, yeah,
1: man, good to see you as usual.
0: Yeah, man. So where, where can people... I know we did it in the last episode, but just for people that have only... Heard this one. Where can they find you? What's your Instagram handle? All that. What's your MySpace? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't remember my MySpace actually.
0: Um, Mine was Ralph the Lawyer. By the way, if because, <laughs> because you know I my, was yeah.
1: My dad's name is Ralph. Did you know that? That's why. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Are you
0: gonna really make me say Gun
1: Buns again? Is that is that the <laughs> whole point of all this? You already
0: did it. You already did it. Uh, at Gun Buns. Anyways, um, GunnerOlson dot <laughs>
1: net. Yes. Uh, Also look for me on YouTube. I'm starting to, I'm gonna, I'm going to start posting longer videos in a minute, which I normally do on Instagram. And I was telling you about this, I'm gonna, I've been doing more and more, um, to plug myself, I've been doing more um, experiments with running my drums through pedals and effects, and I started today doing some kind of, uh, I don't wanna say tutorial, but some multi-camera stuff and, and actually talking about what I'm doing and how I utilize things like the chaos pad and other pedals and yeah. So go to my YouTube page, which I have no idea what the address is. So that's great. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Gunner Olson music, but if you go to my Instagram page, gun buns, uh, there's links to all that fun stuff.
0: Awesome. And then we'll definitely try and get you uh, back on the show to, promote that more because I mean that I could I could listen to you talk forever about that because I definitely love watching those videos of you doing yeah that could be cool to
1: to, uh, to to maybe once that stuff's out to maybe I saw you were doing some kind of like live lessons maybe we could do some kind of uh, I don't know yes. some, something that makes sense and mm-hmm. that would be uh, interesting for people if they had the gear or not because that's kind of the thing right it's if you're doing a whole thing about a very specific piece of gear can you do it in a way that is interesting even if you don't have the gear um, yeah maybe it's not and maybe that's fine and you just stick with the nerds because nerds need
0: love too. that's <laughs> that's the that's the, uh, the title of this podcast yeah <laughs> um, all right well have a good day man and thanks uh, man of course
1: see you soon bye see you bud
0: that's the show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out bigfatsnaredrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at bigfatsnaredrum. The audio you're hearing was edited with Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's magic, so go check that out at isotope.com. Cheers.